listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. Today is a story time with Sarah Day. Yes. So normally I do a whole bunch of research and then share my research with you guys because that's what story time episodes generally are. But I totally didn't do that this time because we have two guests who are total content experts mm. <laughs> on what we're talking about today. So I didn't have to do the research. I just had to invite the guests. This is lazy. I was no, lazy. No, you know what it is? <laughs> it's not laziness. It is no. your process in real time. This is the yeah. story time development process, episode Ooh. development process in live in real action. time. Ooh, real but also time. it's yeah. it's scheduled podcast, so it's not actually in real time, but like <laughs> behind the music. Behind the music. But it's I real time. That. It's primary research. Like Sarah Correct. doesn't yes. just go onto Wikipedia and call it good. Sarah no. makes phone calls. She sends emails. Mm-hmm. She has face to face conversations with people. And mm-hmm. this is one episode of that happening in real life. So yeah, I'm very excited about this. Why interview and then tell you what they said when we can mm-hmm. just talk to them live. So today is a story about the Wends in Texas. What? W-E-N-D. What does that mean? I don't know. So the Wends were one of the large migration groups of Lutherans to North America in the mid-1800s. Okay. So we've talked about the Saxons that migrated to St. Louis area. We've talked about the Franconians who migrated to the Michigan area. Mm. But the Wens went to Texas. Oh. So we have two Wens with us today, which is super exciting. A shout mm. out to Chelsea Beck. I messaged her. She is the director of the Texas Wendish Heritage Museum. And I asked her if she wanted to be my guest. And she's like, actually, I can do you one better because there's Wens that work at the museum and they yes. would love to be your guests. So joining us today is Marianne Wiederhold and Jan Slack, who have Wendish last names that I will let them share with you. So thank you so much, Marianne and Jan, for joining us today. <laughs> We're glad to be here. We're glad to be here. This is so fun. I'm so, I'm just like really stoked to have you guys tell these stories today because you're going to be able to tell us way better than I would be able to because I am not a Wend. So first, before we get into the whole like history and everything, what is your connection to the story of the Wens? My connection is that I am, my maiden name was Casper, which is a Wendish name. My great-great-grandfather came to Texas with the Wens in 1854 on the Ben Nevis. And I've been working at the museum for, as a volunteer since it began. And in the last several years, I've been actually uh, working as a docent here. Awesome. This is Jan. My connection to the Wends is I, three of my grandparents were of Wendish descent. And in fact, great, great grandparents came to Texas on the Ben Nevis in 1854. I did not grow up in the Southern area and didn't learn of my Wendish ancestry until I was about 30 when I developed an interest in my family history. And that's when I discovered the information about the winds and when the museum was being developed, I found out about it and got interested and I've been a here and an employee and a volunteer and everything else around here for about for about thirty years now. So um and and my background I actually was baptized in here at Serban, confirmed, married and hope to be buried here too. That is so cool. So when you guys mentioned Serban, you're talking about Serban, Texas, and I'm, we'll get into that in a little bit, where that is, what that actually means. So both of you guys, you guys have a long history of this. You've been working at the museum for 30-ish years, which is- Yeah, a- how old is this museum? Tell it's us about this museum. Here. We just celebrated 50 years last year. Holy and, cow. Uh, yeah. Right. And the, the museum, they started the museum in 1980, and the complex in its present form was completed in 1990, 89 or 90, I can't remember. And it was just a handful of years after that that I got heavily involved. Very cool. We've mentioned a few things, a few names, a few terms. We're going to come back to all of that. Let's go back to like the very, very, very beginning where did the Wens come from? Who were they in Germany-ish? Who is this people group? 
Well, the Wends are a Slavic group of people, like the Czechs and the Polish, but they did not have their own country. They lived or in, and still live in the eastern part of Germany next to the Czech Republic and to the Polish border. They are from an area called Lusatia, which is part of Prussia and uh, Saxony. Do you want me to go into why they came or? Yes, yeah. I want to hear all of it. <laughs> I'd like to also hear their connection. How are, how, what is their connection to Lutheranism? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, let me go back just a little bit. The Wends are also called Thor. When they came to Texas, they uh, were called Wends because that's the old term that was used. But the word Thor actually means the same thing. And so it's interchangeable. In, in Germany, there still are Sorbs, there are Catholic Sorbs, and there are Lutheran Sorbs. But most of the Sorbs, the winds, were became Lutheran after the Re- Reclamation. And, mm-hmm. But because they didn't have their own country and they lived in Germany and they had their own language and their own culture and their own tradition, but because they didn't have their own country and they lived in Germany, they were treated as mi- a minority. And they didn't have the uh, opportunities economically, socially, but most German citizens had. And then when the, the king of Prussia wanted to make all of the churches either Catholic or Protestant, these particular Lutheran winds said, no, we want to stay true to our Lutheran faith. And so they called a pastor and he and the other leaders of the group decided to immigrate to Texas. Hmm. How did they pick Texas? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> I mean, no I offense. Mean, Texas, Texas is, is not lovely. A lot like Germany. <laughs> but it is very different from, from uh, East, Germany and Eastern yeah. Europe. They chose Texas because during that period of time, there was a, a lot of migration of uh, Europeans yeah. in general, a lot of people from Germany migrating several different directions. But two of the main directions were Texas and Australia. And and some, a handful of Wendish families migrated in the 1840s. Some Texas, some went to Australia. And the letters that they were writing back home, the letters from Texas were describing much more favorable living conditions and opportunities than were the letters being written by the Wendish went to Australia. It was a lot, a lot harder to know. <laughs> I can't imagine why. <laughs> Everything in Australia has been designed to kill you. (laughs) I suppose if I had to choose between Texas and Australia, I might choose Texas, too. I think I would also. (laughs) Plus, it was cheaper to come to Texas. and Could you imagine traveling from Eastern Europe to Australia? That's a long way. That is a long trip. That's complicated. I don't even want to think about it. I mean, I don't want to lean into stereotypes here, but to, to end with, and it was a lot cheaper, is a very Lutheran thing to say. Mm, true. <laughs> the winds are very frugal. People, yeah, very, they're hardworking, but they're very frugal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I believe I that. Be, yeah. But there was a group that came, a small group that came to Texas in 1853. The, the big group came in 1854. But the, their small group wrote back letters saying, come to Texas a paradise, which just mm-hmm. made a billion decide, oh, okay, go there rather than go to Australia. Yeah. <laughs> how, many, how many different groups ended up migrating? Was it, I think you've mentioned three? Well, in 1849, there was like a real small group. 1835, mm-hmm. there was 35 people. That, okay. I mean, 1853, excuse me, I'm getting dyslexic. Uh, and in 1853, 35 of them came. And they're the ones that wrote the letters back to uh, Germany saying, come to Texas. And then in 1854 was the big group with Pastor Killian as their leader. They had 600 of them that came on one boat, the Ben Nevis. And that's the, the large group that settled and established colony or their windiest colony of Serban. Yeah. Okay. So where is Serban in Texas? Serban is... South Central Texas, uh, midway between Austin and Houston. Yes, if that helps. (laughs) I think so. Houston, but now there's just a community, and the community centers around the church and the museum. Yeah, Mm. it's it's a rural area. Mm. Yeah, very peaceful. So you mentioned Pastor Killian. Who is Pastor Killian? 
Pastor Killian is the spiritual leader of the WIMP, the group of people that decided they wanted to come to or wanted to immigrate, decided they needed to choose a leader, a pastor to be their spiritual leader. And so they called Jan Killian. Jan Killian was a very, oh, he was a scholar and he was a prolific uh, writer. He wrote many books for, and translated books from Wendy's to German, hymns, prayer books. Uh, he was a graduate of Leipzig University, and he was a very good Wendy's spiritual leader. Now, there were other leaders, too, that came. These other leaders were Holy, Lehman, Piner, Murby, Kokel, Urban, and they were uh, the committee that actually helped to choose Pastor Killian to be the spiritual leader. But these leaders got on the Ben Nevis and were the ones that kept things organized and in order so that there wasn't just chaos. They formed a congregation before they left, but that was bad because there was such a large number of them who were interested in going to Texas. They formed a congregation. They considered themselves to be old Lutheran. And uh, called Killian as their pastor. There's a call document that we have that outlines the expectations of Killian as their pastor and his expectations of them as his congregation. And uh, that's how it was formed. It was a lay committee that organized the migration and got everybody, along with the shipping company, got everybody signed up and and how much it was going to cost per person. And uh, they agreed that uh, each family or person who had the financial resources would put in X amount of money in addition to their own expense to help pay for those who could not afford to come but wanted to. So it was, they started out by taking care of the congregation taking care of the poor, taking care of, you know, making sure that they stay together as a unit. And that's why they came on one ship. They uh, waited in Liverpool an extra amount of time for the shipping company to find a boat for them that was large enough to hold the almost 600 people because they wanted to stick together. Wow. We're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> and then on the way, Pastor Killian, he led devotions with church services. He, he taught, teaching. yeah, he wow. taught the kids. He had confirmation classes. He confirmed people, performed marriages, baptisms, and of course, deaths to burial uh-huh. on this trip. How long was the voyage? They started out in September. Of course, they had problems. They had cholera. They had to be quarantined in Queenstown. And then it took three months before they got to Galveston. They got to Galveston on December 16th, 1854. And then when they got to Galveston, there was yellow fever outbreak. Oh, and so they hurried and got, went to Houston. And that's where they spent Christmas in Houston before moving further in to, to where Serban was established. Hmm. Do we have any other stories during their travel? We've talked a little bit about this in, in our other podcast episodes of just kind of the crazy stuff that happens when you're traveling for that long. Do you, do you have any other stories of some of the stuff that went on as they were traveling? Well, one thing that comes to mind is, of course, you know, people that there were about 80 people that died on three in, during the three months that the trip took and wow. were be buried overboard. And there was a little boy, I think it was a doobie, I'm not real sure about that, but he saw, you know, someone being buried at sea. And then a tiner, okay. He saw his mother's body being buried at sea. Yeah. And wrote about it some years later. Yeah. And I was just reading the other day about a little baby that was born in the Caribbean, a little Hannah Casper. Mm. And the next day she was buried, you know. Such sad things like that. But of course, they had happy things too. They got married. They, you know, had birth. Mm -hmm. So, on the trip. Mm -hmm. Did they all stay together when they finally got to Serban? And how did they structure their community then? Once they got to Houston, they, uh, it was a Lutheran pastor, uh, Pastor Brown. Pastor Brown. Yeah, what's the name of his church? I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, it was a Lutheran church in Houston who 
and he and his congregation are helping, they can somewhere around that church, which is now the central old part of Houston. And those, that, that was it was during that time that they were camping in Houston that they started to get their, themselves put together. And there were a number of them who, for either because they could not afford to go any further or just decided they liked the look of Houston, decided to stay in Houston. Those who wanted to continue on to find a place where they could establish their community and they could afford to do so started out. They, they did it in groups. They didn't just go and map 500 people traveling over overland, but um, in groups, if they could find the wagons and the mules and the money to transport themselves, make, started making their way toward New Ulm, which is a small town or community between here and between here in Houston uh, where the winds who had come in 1853 had settled so they kind of had a direction they had and some people that they knew to help them once they got to New Ulm and I think it was after they got to New Ulm that they sent two of their guys to Austin Carl Lehman and John Doobie were sent to, to the general land office in Austin to look for a piece of land large enough to accommodate as many women as wanted to to come settle and that they could afford and uh. get title to because that was hard in Texas at that time to get clear title to a large piece of land. Mm-hmm. So that that was how the Delaplane League was chosen. And that you know the Delaplane League is the league of land that Carabin sits on and the church sits on. It's four thousand acres. Mm-hmm. And when they got to the 4,000 acres, they set aside 95 acres in the center for the church. And that's where the church and the museum is today. Hmm. And as families had resources, they would come and buy their portion of land from this uh, layman and doobie. Hmm. That probably created a, a great deal of neighborliness, I'm guessing, among the Wendish community, having everyone oh, yeah. buying they, land from one big does. parcel. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they they depended on each other to, you know, to build their homes and to establish or start their crop because uh, that, that would, you know, they had to just find a way to make, to keep alive at first. Yeah, the, uh, obviously the climate and the soil are totally different to what they were used to back home. So they figure out what and learn what crops grew around here. And uh, when they got here, it was actually got to this, what is now the Serban area, it wasn't, I think it was March of 1855. And that, at that point, that's uh, late, late spring for planting here in Texas. And, and summer crop, that's, that's getting kind of late for putting the crop in the ground. So the first couple of years, it was, it was kind of lean. Mm. And uh, the soil is rocky. Poor soil. It's poor soil. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it was, it was a good choice as far as materials for building their home because it was heavily wooded. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of trees for cutting down and building the log cabin. But the soil for agricultural use was something they really needed to get used to. Mm-hmm. How yeah. did they figure all of that out? Did they have help? Because I, I know some of the other groups that settled in different parts of the country had help from other people who are, were already here. Was, was that the case for them too? I think so. There were some German immigrants who had already settled in this area. And because most of these uh, Wendish immigrants were bilingual, they, they could communicate and get to know. Yeah. That's something we hadn't talked about yet. Uh, the the language of this people group. Was it German or was it something else? It was Wendish. It was Wendish. Yeah. It was, it, it was it's a whole language too? It yeah, is. It is. It's very much like Czech, but uh, it, it's just completely Separate, complete French is German. Yeah, it's a Slavic language with all the diacritical marks and the <laughs> yeah, and the hard to pronounce words. Spoken today, it is not no. too much around here. It is uh, still spoken in the Lusatia area of Germany, but it's a minority language, and I think it is considered one of the dying languages. Yeah. They're they're, yeah. they're making every effort they can over there to teach. Mm-hmm. Kindergartners and young young elementary language, but it's not one that is used. It can't be used for conducting business in Germany. So it's uh, sure. yeah, 
the street signs in that particular area in, in Lusatia are bilingual in Windish and in German. So, you know, they still recognize the Windish language and they are trying to teach it in some of the primary schools and the Windish families talk it at home, but it's a dying language. It is. Mm-hmm. We're in well, tech, that- not completely dead. We have a few people that are trying to learn a little bit more again, but um, the last people that could carry on a conversation, they probably died in the 1990s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the last Windish church service was in 1920. Uh, wow. After, uh, before our, the second pastor, Jan Killian, his son was the second pastor of Serban and St. Paul Serban. And when he could speak Windish, of course, but when he died, that was the end of the Windish sermon, the Windish church service. That brings me to a question. We've talked about the language, obviously, and the, the sort of Slavic cultural roots. How would you describe sort of the distinctiveness of Windish culture and the sort of Wendish take on Lutheran practice. Are there distinctions there that, that you would notice if you walked into a Wendish church or Wendish community? You'd say, oh, yeah, that looks familiar. Well, the Wendish church here at Serban is patterned after the churches that they came from in Germany. It has a, uh, of course, you know, this is unique to Serban, uh, St. Paul Serban, but it is a big, stone church, large stone church. The walls are three feet thick, wide, and um, it has a balcony that goes all the way around. It has a pipe organ. The pulpit is 20 feet high from the floor. It's um, a big stone church that was, was dedicated in 1871. And at that dedication, Pastor Killian preached the sermon in Windig, German, and in English. They already <laughs> learned English because they had to to do business in Texas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, sounds like when they do a thing, they do it right. That sounds like an <laughs> impressive church. <laughs> the, the first uh, uh, building, first church was just a log cabin, which was also Pastor Killian's house, and it was the school. And that log cabin is still here. We do have it here yet, but it's just there to look at, but nothing going on. But uh, then they built a frame church at first, but then they built the stone church. And that's been in continual use in 1871. Wow. That is really that's cool. wild. Mm-hmm. One other subcategory of culture that I'm particularly interested in, because we talk about it a lot on this show, is food. Mm. Are there any particular dishes that are really closely associated with Wendish heritage? Well, noodles, noodles, yeah, noodles, noodles. Oh, I do love noodles. <laughs> yeah. noodles. Mm. Show me a person who doesn't love noodles. Yeah. I'll show you a liar. Yeah. We, uh, we, in fact, we have ladies that come every week to, other, to the museum. We've got a special building where they make noodles every week. Mm. And they um, let them dry for a couple of days. And then they come back and bag them. And we sell them here in the museum. We sell them. In Giddings, in Lagrange, Georgetown, different places around Central Texas. So, so. yeah, noodle sales are a significant portion of uh, the museum's budget. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's brilliant. So, tell us about these. Tell us about these noodles. Like, is it an egg noodle? What's it's is it? A egg big wide noodle? A tiny skinny noodle? What do you serve them with? Know more. It's an egg noodle, egg and flour, mm-hmm. a little bit of salt. That's all that goes into it. In fact, our ladies used about 500 eggs every week and 150 pounds of flour. Uh, it's a lot of noodles. And, <laughs> and, uh, they make these noodles and they dry them. And, um, but then the main thing that I think makes them windish, besides being made by windish ladies, is mm. that uh, we cook them in chicken broth. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Leave them in the chicken broth. We don't drain that off. It's just, and then it's served in the chicken broth, which has been absorbed. The noodles have absorbed. And uh, that's how we use it as a side instead of potatoes a lot of times. I grew up eating noodles with my turkey and dressing and gravy at Thanksgiving oh, yeah. instead of mashed potatoes. I, I yeah. had never heard of mashed potatoes and turkey. Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I need 
No, is it whole and eggs or just egg yolks? Whole whole egg. Okay. Whole, whole egg. egg. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm. And they're used at every celebration, every fundraiser, uh-huh. every wedding. In fact, my husband uh-huh. always says, if you don't have wet noodles at your wedding reception, you're not really married. now how is this one of those things that's very standardized or are there lots of variations like by family it's pretty standardized yeah it's a a homemade noodle that uh, is cooked in a good plate strong plate with chicken broth yeah Uh Uh you do it this weekend is a fundraiser for the uh, south lake county volunteer fire department which is and uh, the the fire department in this area, and they're going to be cooking. Um, oh gosh, sixteen pound bags of uh, noodles for that noodle fest. <laughs> yes, yeah. I love Along that for you. And uh, the other things. Yeah. <laughs> but another, I'm so another thing, probably. Oh yeah, another food. Talked about noodles, but another thing that they that is very popular here in with the wind is uh, coffee cake or cake. Broken, which is cheese coffee cake. Uh-huh. Or cake with, it's the coffee cake. It's the yeast dough with a sugar and butter and flour topping on it. And also, and then the case is with the cheese, cork, lemon topping. And those are really popular. In fact, at our Wendy's Fest, we have contests to see who can make the best streusel coffee cake or case of coffee cake. I thought you were going to say there's a coffee cake eating contest, to which I was like, sign me up! I think, Sarah, oh, if, you, well, if you do any... <laughs> we auction off the prize-winning uh, coffee cakes then, too, and, and uh, for our scholarship uh, fund. Oh, brilliant. I'm so hungry right now. I'm so hungry. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I was going to say, Sarah, when you follow up with our friends after the show, please make sure we get some of these recipes that we can mm-hmm. share with our listeners because I want to make the coffee cake. Coffee cake. Yeah. <laughs> coffee cake. Featured, our coffee cake has been featured in the Texas Highways magazine uh, just recently. Oh, wow. That's awesome. <laughs> Texas Highway magazine. That's <laughs> All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take us away from food for a hot second. <laughs> Please do. I can't. I'm I'm dying here. My stomach is growing. Suffering. Because <laughs> we skipped over some of the story to get to food, which is fine. I am not mad about that at all. How did the Wens get connected with the Lutheran Church Missouri yes. Synod? Yes. Because we we've talked about the church. Oh. And how beautiful the yes. church is. But when they came here, they wouldn't have been LCMS. They would have been. Well, they were old Lutheran. Yeah. Um, which means conservative. Mm-hmm. And right. uh, that was one of the first things that Killian did when he got here. Pastor Killian is he applied for membership in the Missouri Senate Lutheran oh. Church. Oh, OK. Killian was the first Missouri Senate yes. Lutheran pastor in Texas. Right. Oh, OK. Makes sense. Okay. So, yeah. How does so, this fit like, in the bigger timeline? Like, where does this fall in the timeline of the Missouri City yeah. timeline? After the settlement in um, St. Louis. Uh-huh. Yeah. What, 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 70, 1840s. Late 1840s. 40s, okay. Yeah, so this, this is now happening when? In the 1850s. Okay. So, okay. The, so, so the LCMS has been a pretty, but it's it's, it's been it's established. Young, but it's still there. Yeah. For yeah. A couple decades. Right? Yeah. A decade. Yeah. A decade. Yeah. I can't <laughs> math. You guys know this. I'm sorry. Like, I misquoted. The Saxon immigration took place in 1838 and 39, and then the Synod was founded in 1847. So the, okay. the Wendish groups would have arrived they, very soon after this. Yeah. Right. Okay. So very, very young, actually. Yeah. In okay. It's 1860. Okay. Carry and on. Sorry. As the land became saturated, people, you know, they had large families. They married. Germans and others in the area, and the, there wasn't enough land for them. So people would move to, to new communities and establish new communities. And every time they established a new community, they established a Lutheran church. There are Lutheran mm-hmm. churches in Central yeah. Texas, like mm-hmm. Warda and Winchester and Giddings and Houston and Austin and 
as far away as uh, North Texas or South Texas. And everywhere they these winds went, they established a Lutheran church, Missouri Synod. Did they stay? So they s- struck out on their own, but it sounds like a lot of them stayed like within Texas, correct? A lot of them did. But of course, okay. you know, as, and today they're all over the United States. Right. Yeah, there's a- I have a theory. I think he might be as I'm as I'm reading about this right now. So my (laughs) when my my husband, his last name is Gerzewski. I don't know if you have like a a library or like an index of all the Wendish people in the world. I don't know if that's a thing, but like (laughs) when we met and we're getting to know each other, he's like, My dad is from Pomerania. And I'm like, that's a dog. And he's like, no, this is German Polish area that people that my family came from. So I'm wondering if he has like Wendish roots or something. But I don't know. That's my theory. What was the name? Grzewski. Hell that. Well, that's very sloppy. (laughs) (laughs) G-E-R-Z-E-S-K-E. Mm-hmm. I haven't. Uh, I, I have haven't not heard that, that surname if, uh, amongst the wind, but it is a Slavic surname for sure. Yeah. Um, so it could be Czech or Polish or yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think you're going to have to do some more digging there, Brie, and see what sort Sounds of like wonderful it. heritage you've married into. <laughs> <laughs> and there are a lot of people that don't realize that they are part windish awesome. until they, you know, start digging in looking back in their history, their well, didn't, genealogy. Didn't you mention that you did not know that you were Wendish until you were 30? That was me, yes. That was you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I got you mixed up. So how did, um, what was it I, like discovering that part of your, your heritage? Well, it was fascinating and surprising because I grew up thinking that I was of German descent because my, all four of my grandparents spoke German. Uh, before they spoke English and they would, if they were going to talk about something that they didn't want the little kids to know about, they spoke Germans. Um, yes. So I just, and they came from an area that is now Germany. So I just assumed I was German. And, and when I was about 30 years old, I got interested in learning more about my ancestry and getting into the genealogy. And that was just after Anna Blasek had published her book called The Winds of Texas. And my mother had, she, my mother was aware of uh, our ancestral background, but I hadn't asked any questions, so obviously she didn't tell me. But when I did start asking, she bought me a copy of the Anna Blasek's book. That was what started it for me. Awesome. That was my duty. Wow. And that was about the time that there was a lot of, in the whole United States, awareness of our ancestry. Like Ruth, mm-hmm. you're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. They, a lot of people became aware or curious. Yeah, the miniseries Ruth that was in the late 70s started a whole time period of people phenomenon. researching their families. I grew up here in Serban and went to school in the two-room pool house at Serban. And even here, I mean, we knew we were Wendish, but we weren't really into discovering what that meant. In fact, that was kind of old fashioned or backwards to be Wendish. And we wanted to be American and English. Mm-hmm. So we didn't really think about being Wendish too much. But now we're saying, now we all, and we try to uh, preserve that in the school too. We have a, pro- uh, a program every year in, um, January, the director Chelsea of our Windish Museum goes to the school and gives a program about uh, the Windish tradition and the Windish heritage. She talks about uh, the Boulder Hochzeit, which is one of the uh, cultural things. Boulder Hochzeit is bird wedding, or in, in Windish it's called uh, Taichuan. And it's a fun celebration that we have brought back to remember how we celebrate. Bird wedding? Yeah, yeah, it's fun. Tell us yeah. more about this tradition. Yes. It's on January 25th of every year, and it's a uh, little kids will put a plate, an empty plate out on a fence post or a windowsill in hopes that the birds will leave them with uh, cookies or pastries or candy or some kind of treat. 
And if the okay. guy's eating them all winter long when food, when bird food is scarce. So uh, it's just this little tradition that it's a one-day thing. <laughs> and we keep it alive, too, at our Wendy's Fest. We have the, the, the little kids, the first grade. Bride, uh, Wendy's costumes, their bride, co- bride, bridesmaid, and groomsman costumes, <laughs> and they parade and sing a dance and sing a song. It's a tradition that is still observed in the Lusatia area of Germany every year okay. because it's a, it's a fun thing for the young children. Absolutely, that's beautiful. I love this so much. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you've already, you've already mentioned it a couple of ways, but how is, obviously, you, neither of you was particularly aware of much your, your Wendish heritage growing up. How is the Wendish community working to preserve those memories and that common bond that you have today? Well, that's the purpose of the Wendish Heritage Society. We had five ladies in 1979 who wanted to sell noodles. 1972. 1972. Okay, they went to San Antonio to um, go to the Texas Folklife Festival. Thank you. <laughs> Texas Folklife Festival. They wanted to sell noodles, and they were told, no, you can't unless you represent an organization. So they came back and organized Texas Windish Culture Club, and that was the beginning of the Texas Windish Heritage Society. And today we have a museum. We have people tours that come to the museum to learn about the wind. We have a scholarship that is offered that are offered to college students and they do research to find out about their Wendy's heritage. And of course we have YouTube videos about the Wendish heritage. And so it's I think the word is getting out. Yes. About, huh. about the wind. Yeah. Well, it must be because I had never heard of winds until probably five years ago. And I was ex- I was completely shocked to know that there was another, you know, Lutheran migration that I'd never heard of. So apparently, job well done. We're hearing about, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Back in 1926, they, the wind actually started Concordia Lutheran University in, in Austin. Oh, I was going to ask like, about that. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, it was the winds in the Lee County area who were instrumental in the establishing of what is now Concordia, Texas, but it was Concordia called Concordia College at the time. Yeah, I went to school there. Yeah, Mary went to school there. Very cool. Graduated, graduated from uh, Austin before I went to uh, Seward, Nebraska. Hmm. Very cool. What other legacy is there from the Wens still in the Serban area or in or in Texas? You mentioned, obviously, St. Paul and Serban, Concordia, Texas. Uh, what other... Is Shiner Bach. Actually, wind. That's Catholic. Number two. <laughs> Not Wendish. Matt Gerzewski and Shiner Bach. Add it to the list. <laughs> but we do serve Pivo, which is beer <laughs> at our Wendish Fest. But Pivo is the German, I mean, the Wendish word for beer. Hmm. Are there celebrity wins? You know, usually they have a category on, on Wikipedia for a town. P- famous people from this community. Are there people we would have heard of and go, oh, really? They're Wendish? Mm-hmm. Well, have you heard of Jerry Kieschnick? Yes. Oh. <laughs> is, definitely Ke- is Kieschnick oh. a Wendish name? Yeah, he was a... Uh, yeah. yeah, Kieschnick is a Wendish name. Well, okay. <laughs> I did not know that. Hmm. I mean, Wynn had high places in politics. There was a, a Falky who served in the House of Representatives, the Texas House of Representatives, but this mm-hmm. is back a long time ago. But um, And then there were in, in, um, medic- in the medical field, there was a Kiesling who established or founded the Kiesling Drugstore in Houston. And then, of course, there were some inventors that invented the cotton press and other farming equipment. And of wow. course... In literary, there are authors that are wind. George Nielsen has written many, written several windish books. And Bothick, though, Jan mentioned a while ago, Lily Murphy Caldwell, Weldon Merzeski, Oscar Beiser, John Preskich. John Preskich was the editor of the Getting Slokesplot and printer of the Getting Slokesplot, which was the German newspaper in Getting. And it was the only newspaper in Texas, I guess in the United States, that had a Wendish 
column. Mm -hmm. They also had wind issues until 1949. Mm -hmm. And let's see, there's cowboy Cliff Tynert. He was a, he's a cowboy and he was an author and a chef. He actually cooked for three presidents. And, uh, oh, wow. Did he make noodles? Yeah. He wrote the... more into chuck wagon cooking. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Cowboy beans. Barbecue, biscuits, and beans. Yeah. Which is still... Oh, like the three beans. B's of a <laughs> yeah. balanced diet. <laughs> Barbecue <laughs> beans and biscuits. Yes. There are many pastors that are windish. You know, Keith Dickwin mentioned him, there's Nippa, and there are other windish pastors too. Can we talk about, I don't know if this is on deck to talk about, but can we talk about the whole windish name thing? Yeah. How do you identify what a windish name is? Or is it just something <laughs> that hard? By, by research. Yeah. Oh. Okay. We have a, a legal-sized piece of paper that had one, two, about seven columns of names that oh, yeah. are that have by, been identified as being windish. Yeah, know? it's 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 a challenge for people because they didn't have their own home country. They came they came from an area that became Germany, and, and so a lot of hence a lot of people don't know that they're of windish descent. So you have to what what helped us or the people who started the research, Blasek and Nielsen, in the first place was Killian kept very detailed records, which uh, ministers at that time were taught to do. do. That's my guy. Yeah. So like an 11 by 14 piece of paper with seven, like that's not a whole lot of names. That's not a whole lot of sermons. It's it's pretty tiny print. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of names, Brie. <laughs> a limited amount of names. I think Correct. it is it is a discrete, you know, set. Yeah, that's right. There is a, uh, a, a group of people who have been uh, very active in researching and collecting information, and they developed a website called the Windish Research Exchange. And you can go onto that website and find all kinds of stuff. I'm going oh. right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, I want to know more about this Texas Wendish Festival. We've talked about it a little bit. Obviously, there's noodles at the Texas Wendish Festival, mm. but what else happens at this celebration? Well, it starts at 8.30 in the morning with the church service. And the church service is English, and there's also a German church service. And uh, after that, people go down to the, the church's picnic ground, and they have a Wendish meal, which is sausage and sauerkraut and noodles and beets and green beans and, and of course, Delicious. coffee cake starch. And mm-hmm. after that, there's all kinds of exhibits. There is Easter egg decorating exhibit or demonstration, sausage stuffing, sauerkraut, noodle making, quilting, lace making, spinning, all kinds of demonstrations and uh, activities. They have, let's see, they have competition, the coffee cake bake-off. They have washer pitching. If you're familiar with that, the young men like to do that uh, across <laughs> All content where they two people get on the either side of a big saw and cut a log in half or in slices. Uh, we have uh, yes. children's activities, coloring contests, stick horse races. Fletcher Foston, it's Fletcher and Foston, yeah, which is <laughs> climbing a pole for the kids. They get awesome, a pole and they climb the pole that they can ring the bell, they get a prize. Oh. I would not win that as a child. And we have a big band that comes every year. We used to have groups come from Germany and dance groups and music groups. Uh, but lately we haven't had that. We just have the Shiner Hobo Band come. Hmm. What Academy. kind of music do they play? Focus. Mostly. Yeah. Focus ball. Perfect. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I dig that's that. What you want. I wish I lived closer because that sounds like a really good time. I'd like to take the kids. <laughs> It's a fun one day of that. You can spend little or as much money as you want because admission is free. It's you know, you spend your money whatever you want to eat. You and you if wanna... the birds bring you your food, uh, that's all the better. <laughs> yep. Yeah, we had the bird wedding. Oh my gosh, I can't get over that. <laughs> and a lot of people come and visit the museum then and check out their uh, ancestry. That's so cool. 
So what else is on the actual museum grounds? I know there's several things and the grounds are fairly large, aren't they? Well, we have three main buildings. We have the Killian building, which is called the Killian. Well, the Killian building and the St. Paul building actually belonged to the church. They were the, the school and the fellowship hall that were used until the church built a new parochial school and uh, gave that those two old buildings to the museum. And they were the, the two-room school that I went to school in for eight years. And the Killian building is our noodle building. The, the St. Paul building, which is the other half of the school, has displays and artifacts and life as it was in the early 1900s in Texas. And then our main building is called the Peter Building. It is our interpretive center. It has the history of the winds on the panel around the perimeter of the building. We have our gift shop here. And we also have a genealogy library where a lot of people come and trace their family roots. And the archives. And the archives. Yeah. Dan is our archivist. She knows all about She's the one that takes in all of the different artifacts and displays. Hmm. That's amazing. Brought here. Do you have some favorite artifacts? Like what is what are the cool things, the coolest things in the museum? Oh gosh. My favorite <laughs> my favorite thing is the homemade flash water. <laughs> oh. Tell me more about this. It's like a, a small piece of woven metal fabric, sort of like a window screen and a uh, wire frame and it this piece of screening material is stitched to this wire frame with thin wire. It's very crude and very cute. <laughs> Love that, though. They were on the right track, honestly. Yeah. Resourcefulness. Born far off. I love it. Too. And my favorite thing, of course, is my great-grandfather's trunk. Each family was allowed to bring one trunk with their whole family belongings on the Ben Nevis in 1854. And my great-great-grandfather, George Casper, his trunk is here in the museum. So, of course, that's pretty me. How big is the trunk? Let's talk about that for a second. Oh, how big is it? Well, do you know what the si a size of a, gosh, a, like a hope chest or a theater chest? Yeah. yeah. Sure. Chest. Four sure. feet long yeah. by three feet by two feet. No. So if like you that. were a big family, big. you probably couldn't bring a whole lot with you. No. Probably clothes on your back, maybe some other things. Last time yeah. we moved, right. we had to get like two U-Hauls, a big one and a little mm -hmm. one. Right. I don't think we <laughs> would be able to make a truck one and work. and a half U-Hauls. <laughs> no, no, they they could bring one truck. Everything that their family owned had to go in that trunk. I immigrant would laugh at the way our face needs nowadays. That is true. For sure that is would. true. And, and rightly yes, so, we yes. deserve it. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, yep. also a cabin, and one of them is a home, and it is a one-room home. Mm. It's a log cabin that was built in the 1850s by a Curio family, and it was moved on to the museum grounds from about a mile away. But um, it was built by, in the 1850s, and it, it's just very crude. All they had room for was a bed and table and chairs and yeah. cook stove, and yeah, that's it. Mm. Then we have another log cabin that has tools and implements that people used back when they first came. Huh. Very cool. Yeah, I, my family would not do very well in a one-room cabin, maybe for like <laughs> two hours. But again, you know, that is, I think that's that speaks volumes as to their character and their love for one another and their dedication to seeing through their vision of religious liberty and the opportunity to be old Lutherans. That's true. Yes. Yeah. Any other questions, guys? That's I had a very time. interesting. Yeah. I definitely want those recipes. Yes, <laughs> me too. We will get those recipes. <laughs> I will make sure that they get into the show notes. Yes. <laughs> so for people who are now inspired to come visit and learn more, how do we learn more about the Wends and the Texas Wendish Heritage Museum and visiting if people want to like take a road trip now to come visit? Because I totally want to. Join the <laughs> festival. How do we learn more about stuff? Well, there's our website for the museum. That's texaswendish.org. There we have a Facebook page, Texas Windish Facebook page. There's a windishresearch.org, which has lots and lots of history and all for genealogy, family history. Craigholservant.org is the website for our church. 
you know, you can see a picture, you know, see, see what the inside of our church looks like. If you Google Texas wind, you'll find lots of videos about uh, Thurban, about the wind. You'll find my husband on several of them. And yes. there's love that. There was also one done in about 2014, the Texas Country Reporter. That was a, that's a fun one because they interviewed people at Wendy's Fest and they talked to our noodle ladies and lots of stuff. YouTube videos. Yeah, just Google Texas Wind. <laughs> okay. You get presents on TripAdvisor too. Nice. <laughs> so there is no lack of information on the internet about Texas Wind if you want to know more. And we'll, we'll try to throw some links into the show notes to give you an easy place to start. But there's lots of stuff. I was starting to go down those rabbit holes as I was researching, uh, but this has been way more fun than yes. me telling you information because I would not and have those stories. Very fun. Yes. So fun. Yes. Thank you, Jan and Marion. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, sure. thank you. Thank okay. you. Ladies, if you are Wendish, we want to know about it. Yeah, or if do. you have Wendish stories, if you've been to Serban, if you used to live in this area, we'd love to know all of that in our Facebook group. Please want to tell cook us me your noodles. <laughs> if you have cooked Wendish noodles, we also want to know that. You can join <laughs> us in our Facebook group, the Lutheran Ladies Lounge. You can also follow us on Instagram at Lutheran Ladies Lounge. You can share your stories with us there as well. Tag us and we'll put them in our story too. You can sign up for our e-newsletter in the show notes for this episode. If you're not on social or you just want to get some extra special information in your inbox, you can do that. You can also send us an email, lutheranladies at kfuo.org, and we'll get you signed up for that e-newsletter. You can find all of our podcasts at kfuo.org slash Lutheran Ladies Lounge or on the KFUO radio app or on your favorite podcasting app. You're listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm going to take a plate, find a fence post, <laughs> and wait for the birds to come. <laughs> and I would like some noodles. Mm, noodles. <laughs> Can't wait. Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave a review for us, too. If you love the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast, consider financially supporting our producer, KFUO Radio, so we can keep doing what we do. Find out how at kfuo.org slash give.